In 2012, there was, unsurprisingly, a fresh surge of titanic interest and memorialization in commemoration of the 100th anniversary of the sinking. James Cameron's Titanic, 15 years old at that point, went into worldwide release in 3D. As I record this, in early February of 2023, we are just a few days away from the 25th anniversary 4K re-release of that film as well. I'm giddy. (laughs) I have a lot of restless energy. I'm excited about it. Ask my family and they will shake their heads and laugh. I'm a mess. Uh, So I decided to channel that energy into watching a 2012 Titanic adaptation that has been a long-running listener request, but I just hadn't made the time to watch it yet. So the one I'm going to talk about today comes out in 2012. So does Titanic Blood and Steel, which I will eventually get to. Titanic Belfast was also opened in 2012, I believe. So it is this year at that 100 mark where there is a fresh crop (laughs) uh, of Titanic movies and cultural moments. So ITV, which is in the UK, and ABC went in together for a miniseries simply named Titanic, uh, released in 2012. It was the brainchild of Julian Fellows, an English actor, novelist, director, and screenwriter, best known for creating and writing the multiple award-winning cultural zeitgeist known as Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey begins with the news of Titanic's sinking, so I won't say anything else in case you have lived under seven rocks and haven't ever watched any of it, but uh, just to mention that because Fellows is very obviously obsessed with the late 19th and early 20th century evolutions in class, structure, and culture. His latest venture is The Gilded Age, currently heading into filming its second season, I believe, on HBO Max. The Astor family plays a big role in that show, which takes place in New York among the wealthy elite in the Gilded Age. Uh, J.J. Astor is here in this 2012 miniseries as well. So are a lot of other passengers as characters. There's Jack Thayer dancing with Dorothy Gibson, the real movie star who was on board. There's Alice Cleaver, nanny to the Allison family and lurking and unstable as the mythology has often painted her. There are the Wideners hosting the infamous dinner party for the captain in the a la carte restaurant the night of the sinking. Uh, But there are a lot of fictional characters as well. A lot of them. (laughs) So many. Uh, Too many. So I had my head spinning after finishing this miniseries, and I want to talk about it. I am L.A. Beatles, of course, and welcome back to Unsinkable, the Titanic podcast. This is Titanic on Film, 2012's Titanic. Couple of quick announcements before I jump into this crazy wild mini series. I want to thank, of course, my latest Patreon members. I want to extend a huge thank you to Suzanne and to Marchionette for being the newest unsinkable supporters over on Patreon. 
It means the world. Your support fuels this podcast. So thank you. And that leads me to my next thought, which is I am coming, as I record this, straight off of the first live stream for Patreon that I did last night. It was such a success. And I want to thank everybody who came out for it uh, or came online for it. I don't know how to say that. I had a few technical difficulties at the very beginning. Uh, Full disclosure, very first time I'm you know, I'm 38. I am not old, but I am just enough of the generation that all of this is new to me. So this was my first time live streaming anything except for, you know, the occasional Instagram story, but that really doesn't count. So it was my first time live streaming anything, first time using YouTube. Um, It was a little nerve wracking at the beginning, but we got it figured out. And uh, I made a cocktail and we, I took questions and we just, I I mean, I chatted at everybody, but because the chat function uh, in the live stream allows people to kind of comment and ask questions, it was really interactive. Uh, So I am definitely going to keep doing them. So if Patreon is something that you're thinking about, that now uh, I think will definitely be a permanent perk, at least quarterly. I would love to be able to do them monthly. I don't know if there's quite time for that, but at least quarterly, we'll be doing these live streams. And in them, uh, I think I'm going to focus on a sort of Q&A format. Like coming out of last night, that seems to be what uh, will work for this. So maybe every uh, live stream will have a theme and then I'll do a Q&A based on that theme. So anyway, thanks to everybody. And then also the James Cameron new documentary on Nat Geo premiered right after. So I live streamed and then watched it. A lot of you guys were at the live stream and then watched it. I talked to a couple of you. And it's 25 years later. Titanic 25 years later with James Cameron is the official title. It's likely on streaming already today. It premiered on Nat Geo on live TV, but then I'm sure it's on Nat Geo app. If there's one, I'm sure it's on Disney Discovery. Just go to justwatch.com. I'm sure it's on there and you can figure it out. Uh, It'll be easy to find. They want people to find it. But, you know, I had seen it publicized online, mainly with these scenes of recreating the Jack and Rose on the piece of wood. And I'm sure you saw it too. It's been all over Instagram. And basically, James Cameron, sometime in the last year, it looks like, went to New Zealand to a cold water laboratory. He got two uh, they're probably not actors. They're probably professionals in diving, I would guess, um, being used, uh, used to being in cold water. Uh, but he gets two people that are the same, you know, weight, height, wearing the same clothes as Kate and Leo back when they filmed the movie. They get in this cold water tank and they try to recreate the scenario and figure out if Jack, you know, quote unquote, could have lived. Even though, I mean, these are fictional characters that James Cameron created. So I think he gets the final word no matter what. But, you know. Anyway, he he doesn't he doesn't like to let things go in a very beautiful way that I love about him. So he's he's taking a scientific approach and trying to figure this out because it's been such a debate. But anyway, long story short, the reason that they publicize that part of it so much is that's the only new part. Uh, the rest of it is footage interviews that are either from Titanic, the final word with James Cameron or Titanic 20 years later. Uh, so, you know, it. I mean, it's amazing that they're they're trying to create new content and, and want to keep having the Titanic conversation. And James Cameron works with Nat Geo really closely. And, and so I mean, it's great, but it was a little disappointing for me to see the 25th anniversary and now the re-release this week of the film come and go 
without a documentary or a special that really took a look at the cultural history of the phenomenon of the movie. I mean, to be at that 25-year mark and to not commemorate it with cast interviews, crew interviews. I mean, because honestly, like the crew interviews would probably be some of the most interesting things to hear. And I know a lot of you would probably agree, love to hear from the costume designer again this many years later, or the people that worked on the the lighting and the electricity, like anything. I, as a huge Leo fan and as a huge Kate fan, am uh, saddened that there does, I don't think we're going to get any content from them here at the 25 year mark. It makes me sad. I, I wish that uh, we could kind of all join together behind, you know, kind of a cultural, like just something tangible. But the great news is, you know, we have the ins- the Instagram Titanic community is so strong. There's a lot of great content going on there. And I uh, have seen on Instagram, a lot of the actors or people that worked on the movie are sharing behind the scenes photos and things like that. So especially if you're on Instagram, definitely um, take a look. And then, uh, the movie is, if you're listening to this in real time, um, later this week. So I'll be obviously posting on Instagram about that. I'll probably post a little reaction on the main feed after we go. I'm taking my family, uh, the 13-year-old version of me in 97, 98, would never believe <laughs> that the 38-year-old version is getting to buy tickets for her husband and two kids to go see this and experience it you know, in the theater. So that's a very big deal. And uh, I can't wait to talk about that experience. Of course, I'll let you know. All right. So another film called Titanic. It's not a film, a miniseries, but um, let's get into this. So it's been a long running listener request. I would, you know, I tried to go through my email and figure out who initially suggested it to me, but there were several and several on Instagram. So I just, I think everyone who suggested it and as always, if you have feelings and thoughts about it, please reach out on Instagram or via email, however you'd like. So the first thing is that there is an actress in this movie named Celia Emery, who is also a writer. And a lot of you guys have pointed this out to me. So she plays Grace Grace Rushton uh, in this film, one of the fictional first class characters. But in real life, she is the uh, great, great niece of William Emery, who was one of the founders of White Star Line. And she's also apparently a descendant of Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon, husband of Lucille Lady Duff Gordon. And those characters are in this miniseries. They're also briefly in the 97 film. But Lucille Lady Duff Gordon was the one who designed lingerie and really, in many ways, revolutionized women's clothing at the time. And then she and Cosmo. Her husband uh, ended up, you know, with their maid um, assistant, is it assistant secretary, uh, secretary um, in a lifeboat with just a few crew members and a few people, there were like twelve people in this boat. So it went off way too empty from the ship. And then also there was evidence that Cosmo had given money to the crew members to help them with the replacement of their kits, but then that was misconstrued as as paying for this boat. So. Anyway, there will be an episode on them at some point, but but Celia Emery is a descendant of them and also of William Emery from the White Star Line, and she has also written a book about Titanic, Orphans of the Storm, which is about the Novotril, uh boys. Uh, so 
I am going to try to get in touch with her. I definitely should do the Orphans of the Storm as a book club pick. And then, wow, I mean, talk about talk about someone who has strong connections to Titanic and uh, not only is a descendant, but has uh, done further research on other passengers written about the Navratrail boys. And I, I don't know, that's fascinating to me. She's also a renowned actress and singer, I believe has been in, you should look at her filmography. She's been in so many wonderful things. So yeah, I will try to get in touch with her. Obviously she is famous. So I don't know. We'll see if I if we'll see if I can uh, get her on the pod, but that would be incredible. So that's just a little tidbit that she is in this movie. So the the format of or miniseries, I'm going to mess that up a thousand times. Um the format of this, it's a four-part miniseries is the retelling of the kind of same scenarios from different perspectives, which I didn't understand. So to be quite honest, I'm sitting there and I've pressed play on episode one. And I will tell you, it's kind of expensive to watch right now because it's not available streaming anywhere for free. I had to purchase the full uh, set of episodes on Amazon. I believe it was like 12 or $13. Uh, so that sort of sucks. But I, I know that there are DVD copies that are probably used and, and fairly cheap on Amazon as well. But I'm sitting down and I'm watching this first episode. And 45 minutes in, they hit the iceberg. And I'm thinking, what? I don't, I had had no time to get to know any of the characters. I had watched this, you know, burgeoning love story going on, um, a couple of them actually. Uh, you know, we'd barely seen Captain Smith. Ed Ca- Captain Smith had been in the miniseries at this point, maybe all of three minutes. So I'm thinking this, this cannot be, this cannot be right. But sure enough, episode two starts again pre- uh, launch and focuses on other people and then kind of goes through the first few days of the voyage through different perspectives. So you get uh, part of the story told with a focus on Thomas Andrews and getting the ship fitted and ready and heading into uh, getting on board and his dealings with Bruce Ismay. You get uh, in the first episode a focus on this fictional first-class family that are... Um, nobility, and they are going with their daughter to New York. It's not really clear what they're sort of running from. They're running from something. And uh, so it, you know, definitely upstairs, downstairs feel because you have a lot of first class characters. And then it'll jump cut to third class experiences. There's a couple of brothers that work in the crew. One is a waiter. One is down in the boiler rooms. There is a maid that is focused on in several episodes, and she sort of falls for one of those brothers. Um, And then there are, we'll talk about it in a minute, but a lot of of actual uh, passengers that come in as characters. So it's it's very confusing. I'm going to be perfectly honest. Now, I do think in general that strategy of four episodes start each one by sort of going back and and showing different perspective of scenes we've already seen. That can work and I've seen it work uh, in other shows before. They it's sort of a I feel like it's employed in in sci-fi like mystery or or horror a lot, but it just by episode three, it just was so confusing. I couldn't remember who we'd seen yet in which area of the ship. I couldn't remember which part of a storyline had happened or not happened already. So 
I would say I'm just out on this strategy for this particular mini series, but you know, other others may prefer it. The a couple of things that I think were cool, especially in the first episode as I'm I'm settling down to watch it. I do believe that this mini series does a really fantastic job of showing at the beginning the journey that so many people took to the actual ship. Uh, There are these fantastic scenes of a train going through the gorgeous British, you know, countryside as some of the passengers head to Southampton. And I think that, you know, the 97 movie to me is a perfect film. I put it in that category of not an inch of wasted space on screen, every scene, perfection. But in thinking about, about this, and then thinking about the 97 movie, obviously on my brain a lot right now, I do think that what might be missing a little bit is that sense of getting there. You know, we just meet Jack at the pub, and then he gets right on the ship. And we just see Rose getting out of the car, the big hat reveal, and she's right on the ship. And it might have been character development and fun to see how they physically got to Southampton. And in terms of a sort of cinematic reveal, uh, this miniseries, I think, does a great job of showing that even to get to the ship was work, uh, especially for second and third class passengers that didn't necessarily have automobiles at their service, uh, didn't have personal transportation at their service. And a lot of people had to travel for days just to get to Southampton or just to get to Cove. I'm going to do an episode on the Adderall 14 soon. Uh, the, that's the one from my trip this past summer to Ireland that I just am still in development on. It's so much to read and so much to process and such a heartbreaking story. But I will be doing that episode soon. But you know, that group from uh, uh a county in Northern Ireland, uh, or the north of Ireland, not Northern Ireland. Uh, they had to travel by horse and buggy all the way down to Cove, then Queenstown to get on board Titanic. So it's, it's stories like that uh, remind you that the journey doesn't start at Southampton or Cove or Cherbourg. The journey starts for many days and days before. And for many, Titanic is just one leg of a very, very long and arduous journey. So I do think the miniseries peeks into that process, and that's good. And also the arrivals scenes are so well done. Uh, There is the third class family where the dad actually worked for Thomas Andrews and has been given passage on Titanic as sort of payment, and he and his family are Catholics in political turmoil in Belfast. They want to start a new life in New York. And there's this great scene of them sitting on their luggage as they wait to board the ship. So those arrival scenes are wonderful. The The miniseries mentions a few things that, you know, say the 97 movie doesn't. Uh, the fire burning in the coal rooms. This was a very real thing that they were having to move coal around and try to dampen an active fire that was going on. That was common at the time. It wasn't a huge cause for concern. It has, of course, brought about many a conspiracy theory in terms of that. But you know, there are a few technical things about the ship and how it was constructed that are mentioned here that just make it interesting. Um, the the real 
upstairs, downstairs uh, setup is a huge part of this miniseries. And again, not a surprise coming from Julian Fellows, who gave us Downson Abbey, upstairs, downstairs, servants and, and who they serve. So that's what's going on here. And there are these scenes where all of the servants and the maids that have come with the first class passengers are congregating in the room that they dine in. And they have a first class or second class maid that has been assigned uh, to work with them on board the ship. And she becomes a main character. But there is this congregation of the servant class, all of these people that are working with the elite. Uh, There's Madame Aubert's maid. Of course, Madame Aubert was the mistress of Benjamin Guggenheim. She was a real person. She was on board. They mentioned uh, Roberta Mayoni, who was the Countess of Rothes's uh, maid. So there are definitely some real real passengers that are included in these scenes as well. And so there is this whole life going on sort of below decks with the servant class. There are, like I mentioned, also these two brothers, one who is working uh, in the boiler rooms and one who is working in the a la carte restaurant, I believe. Um, There is, you know, JJ and Madeline uh, kind of popping in and out of scenes. There is Dorothy Gibson, who, like I mentioned a a few moments ago, was a bonafide movie star who was on Titanic. And she also starred in the very first film adaptation of Titanic, Saved from the Titanic, which was put into production just days after the sinking. She actually wears the dress that she was wearing during the sinking in the film. The film was produced by a man who was her mm, kind of um, boyfriend at the time, although he was unfortunately married uh, and and their relationship was uh, very tumultuous. And uh, I think he sort of worked her uh, to death in many ways. But that will be a subject of a future episode. I have done a bonus episode on Dorothy Gibson. Uh, at some point, I may unlock that bonus episode, or I may dig a little deeper and do a longer episode on her. But uh, she's there. We also have the Wideners, uh, and they are the ones that host this not necessarily a retirement party for Captain Smith, as some have speculated over the years. There's no proof that he was going to retire after this voyage, but just a party, a celebration of Captain Smith in the a la carte restaurant. And that dinner is often written about. It's the night of the sinking. You know, Archibald Butt is there. The Thayers are there. The Wideners are hosting. All of the the who's who of the wealthy, particularly Philadelphia elite, are at this party at the a la carte restaurant. And there are always these questions of, you know, did Captain Smith imbibe at this party? Most people say no, uh, by the way. But this party where Captain Smith is being lauded is by these wealthy passengers is always sort of part of the Titanic mythology. So we get to meet them. And there's Lady Duff Gordon. But, you know, before I mention anything else, I do want to say that what struck me is that most of the real passengers that this miniseries seems to spotlight are the ones that James Cameron chose not to spotlight. I would say that the Duff Gordons are are maybe the only ones that really overlap. Uh, So, you know, 97 movie has a Colonel Gracie. A Gracie is not here. Uh, The 97 movie has Margaret Brown, Molly Brown, featured prominently here. She is barely uh, there. 
I feel like there almost was this intentional push by Julian Fellows and the creators to spotlight the real life passengers that Jim Cameron chose not to, which if you think about it, is a smart decision because they're recognizing that the 97 movie has already filled the space and brought some of these uh, people uh, to life. But maybe there's but maybe where the extra space is to do something new is in spotlighting some of the people that haven't been. There is value in that. But again, I think my main critique of this miniseries is this too many characters are introduced and we are expected to we're expected to invest in too many. Um, you know, the widener's son, Harry, he's here. And, you know, I will do an episode on that family at some point. There's so much to unpack. But he is played by Noah Reed, who you may know from Schitt's Creek, which was it was fun to spot him. I love that show. Jack Thayer is a, a big character here. Like I mentioned, he was a 17-year-old who was not allowed onto a lifeboat because he was considered a man. But at 17, obviously really young and very fearful in this situation. And uh, he would go on to write one of the first-person accounts that we have of the disaster. He wrote it many years later, though. And unfortunately, he uh, later in life ended his own life um, because of some depression and arguably PTSD off of what happened. And and Jack Thayer is someone we I will definitely talk more about at some point. But there is this scene where they're dancing and Jack Thayer is stealing a dance with Go- Dorothy Gibson from Harry Widener. And I'm just thinking, you know, overall, I have a lot of problems with this miniseries, and I think it's it's way too bloated. But it was incredible as a Titanic person, just like it's incredible to watch A Night to Remember or to watch the 97 movie, incredible to read so much about these passengers that become people in our minds, people that almost feel like people that we know because we have so much compassion for what they went through and we see their names so much and we read their stories so much in all of the books. So it was amazing to see those people brought to life. Uh, Also strange to see so much dancing. It really led me to this question of how much dancing was on Titanic. Obviously, the 97 movie, the third class dance sequence is such a huge part. In the 96 miniseries, which I have covered before, there's a lot of dancing. Uh, I don't know how much dancing was actually going on in first class. Something to look into and something I will be researching for a future project uh, that I'll talk more about later. There's also Officer Lightoller dancing with the movie star Dorothy Gibson, which was very strange. Uh, Lightoller is a, a... a big character here, and I would be interested to see what other people have to say, but he is portrayed as, um, I don't know, there's a little bit of ambiguity to how we are supposed to perceive him. Uh, Lightoller has traditionally been portrayed as very much a hero, uh, very much a serious um you know, in the moment, take charge person. And his whole life is this, you should, um, you should read about him and, and I'll be talking about him more at some point, but um, just a long, uh, just his life is one long brush with history. And he went through a lot and saw a lot in his life. So he's usually portrayed 
very stoically. But here, there's more nuance. Uh, he's dancing with Dorothy Gibson. There are a couple of moments where he's saying things to passengers that almost make him seem a little smarmy. So I don't know what's up with that. I'm <laughs> I'm not sure. There is definitely a central, uh, probably two central themes attempted here. One is class. Again, this downstairs, upstairs. There seems to be a very equal amount of characters represented from you know, third class, second class, first class. I will say that's a big plus for this miniseries. In a lot of film adaptations, you never get a sense of second class, but there are definitely some second class scenes here. I was a bit disturbed by the, there's a mention, I think it's in episode two, of there being Italians on board and how, uh, scary and strange that that would be for people. There's a discussion of the Italian waiters that are on board. And of course, the a la carte restaurant was run by Luigi Gatti, who was Italian. And I believe some of his waiters were. There's just a very disconcerting conversation going on, which I'm sure they meant to convey that that was that was bad. <laughs> I think that the that Julian Fellows and, and the production team probably intended that I would hear those lines and think, oh, they're pointing out this racism that was going on, racism, classism, and these stereotypes about Italians. Uh, and, and obviously that has come up in our conversation about Titanic before. There were in the U.S. Senate hearings some comments made about foreign-born passengers that were not British or American. And it's an important conversation to have in terms of Titanic. But in this miniseries, unfortunately, it comes off as othering the Italian characters in a very stereotypical way that, again, they probably didn't intend. Uh, in the storyline with the third-class family that's headed to New York. The wife is sort of creepily seduced by a man who is in third class that's kind of lurking, and they end up having... I mean, I shouldn't say seduced because she seems to be interested in him, and she has agency, her character, as well. But the way that that character, who is Italian as well, is portrayed is sort of, unfortunately playing into the stereotypes that are are not good. So I am very confused. I was very confused by those moments and a little bothered. I would be curious to see how or hear how others uh, interpreted that. But that that really stuck out like a sore thumb as potentially problematic just in the writing. There are these love stories going on all over the place like I mentioned, that just there's no time to become invested in them. Uh, they are interesting. It is interesting to see the inner lives and dialogues and relationship building of second and third class passengers and crew. So A for effort or A for intention, but the way that it comes off is just this jumble and it is hard to keep up with when somebody met somebody and which perspective are we watching a certain scene through. There is just not time to develop an emotional connection to the couples that are spotlighted. I think what the 97 movie does so beautifully 
is in being over three hours long and not striking the iceberg until halfway through the film. There is the time and the space to get to know Jack and Rose and to fall in love as they fall in love and to become so invested in these young people who have just met but fallen for one another that you are on the you're on the journey with them there at the end. So I appreciate that so many of the real passengers are spotlighted here because let me be clear I've said this before and it's so true in the entire Titanic community the most important thing is telling these stories. Every single human being that was on that ship deserves to have their story told. And it is great to see so many different passengers from so many different classes spotlighted here. But unfortunately, just so many of them seem empty as portrayals, or there seems to be a real gap in in relatability or investment in their characters because there just is not time over four hours to get to know every single person that Julian Fellows wants us to get to know. I do think from a technical standpoint, they obviously didn't have a huge budget. So there are no there are no big shots of the ship that are impressive. In fact, the CGI or the illustrations, whatever they are, don't look great. But the interior scenes are well executed and the loading of the lifeboat scenes are well executed and I think do a really good job of showing how chaotic the lifeboats would have been. So that along with you know like I mentioned the train sequences at the beginning there is there is an A for effort uh, in the sense of uh, showing a full picture of the voyage of the sinking, of the lead up to the voyage. And I'm I'm going to be watching Titanic: Blood and Steel uh, probably in the next few weeks. And I know that that, from what I understand, focuses more on the construction of the ship. So it'll be interesting to think about these two. Uh, this does attempt with the Andrews scenes and the Ismay scenes to. Uh, cover a little bit of that at the beginning of each episode. So, you know, overall, I was, to be quite frank, a little bit bored and emotionally disconnected from the characters. But that is one of the big differences between things made for television and, and feature films, you know, quality of character development and emotionality. Uh, so, not surprising. Uh, I am a huge fan of The Gilded Age, which is, like I mentioned, Julian Fellows' more current project on HBO Max. So I'm not anti-Julian Fellows. I just was a little bit confused as to why this particular Titanic miniseries was made. I suspect there was just an interest on Julian Fellows' part and his creative partners to just tackle the Titanic. But uh, at least... I think one does leave this miniseries, at least I did, sort of wondering why. Uh, there, you know, there are themes of class, but there doesn't seem to be any major, um, uh, you know, thesis met or explained in terms of class. Uh, there is, uh, you know, the theme of, of love and building relationships on the ship, but then these situations are truncated and there is no time to invest in them. And there are these fleeting comments about Ismay, about Andrews, about, you know, 
iron versus steel rivets or mistakes made in the building process, mistakes made by Captain Smith. But there's no, again, no thesis settled on in terms of of the voyage. So I'm just left with this empty feeling at the end of so glad to see some of these stories brought to screen. But to what end? I think, you know, James Cameron takes a lot of flack for the love story. But in the 97 movie, what is the thesis? What is the point? It is the love story. That's what has resonated with people, the investment in it, the make it count of it all. So I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. What was the point of this? Why do this? Why just, why make a miniseries just to make one about Titanic? And if you don't have a central thesis, if you don't have one big thing you want to do. So I don't know. Welcome your thoughts, feedback. I, you know, in these Titanic on film episodes, I usually historically contextualize the making of them more. But in this situation, I don't know how much I can do to historicized 2012 more than I did, which is more, which is just to say like at the hundredth anniversary, there was, you know, just this kind of cultural moment of, of a lot of new content and material. But, uh, yeah, when I do films and, and shows, episodes, whatever it may be that are a bit older, it's really fun to historically contextualize them here. It's just, 2012. I mean, we were all there. <laughs> uh, so I, again, email me, uh, message me on Insta. Let me know what you think. Uh, I definitely plan to do Titanic Blood and Steel starring Nev Campbell. Weird, right? Excited about that one. If you have suggestions for others, I need them because at this point for the Titanic on film series here, I have covered most of the big ones. So if there are, are episodes of shows that cover Titanic, if there's some documentaries that I have missed, I will probably do the final word with James Cameron. I'll probably do Drain the Titanic. A lot of people have messaged about that. But let me know if you have suggestions. Uh, as always, you can find me on Instagram at UnsinkablePod. I now have a YouTube channel at UnsinkablePod. There are there's no content there yet. <laughs> I am using it for uh, a vessel to do the live streams for Patreon, but I am developing some content for it to experiment with using YouTube as part of the whole unsinkable experience. I think making more of the pre-prohibition cocktails would be fun. I was an amateur at the demonstration last night on Patreon live stream, and I'm going to perfect my demonstration of that. I'm a big cocktails person. And um, for those of you that don't drink, then I, maybe I could also do a mocktail sort of version concurrently. I think that would be fun as well. Uh, there probably is um, some fun to be had in recreating some food too. So... I may be doing things like that. And then also I uh, thought what would be fun is maybe videos going through like my to be read pile, talking about some Titanic books. So and and maybe um, the Patreon live streams, once they're like a month old, then they can go on the YouTube channel and be posted once they've had a month as sort of premium content. So 
lot of options. I'm experimenting. I am just not sure, but that is there if you'd like to go ahead and subscribe so that you will be notified when there is content. And uh, yeah, I mean, I... I continue to be floored by how much the podcast is growing. Uh, Please be in touch. Uh, Please follow on Instagram. That is my main social media presence. Uh, There's a lot to come. I am doing the Adderghoul episode soon. I am researching a really fun episode about the history of fan fiction and how the 97 movie really uh, created this surge of Titanic-related fan fiction that online is actually not just about the Titanic 97 film, but a lot of the fan fiction ends up being about Titanic officers, other passengers that were on board. But uh, fan fiction is definitely a cultural phenomenon I've always been interested in. I used to write it when I was a kid. I think I've mentioned that before, but it stayed really relevant online. And so I'm going to dig into that a bit and the history of it. If you are a fan fiction reader and you have a Titanic story or some Titanic stories you've come across online that you recommend that you think are quality and really represent the best of what people can do with fan fiction, please send me a link. Please recommend them. That would be really helpful. I'm in development on that episode. All right. What else? Um, Event announcement. I am going to be presenting a live pod recording at the Grand Hotel's Titanic Weekend on Mackinac Island in May of this year, 2023. You can go to my website, unsinkablepod.com for information and links, or you can just go to thegrandhotel.com and uh, look at the packages. It is part of a full Titanic immersive weekend package. So you do, um, you have to be a part of the package weekend in order to attend the live show, but all the information is there. I am so grateful to them for including me. I am so excited to present, and I have never been to Mackinac Island. It's always been on my list of dream places to visit. So I'm very excited. There is uh, an events section on my website now, so you'll see all upcoming events there. And I'll make sure to post uh, info on Instagram as well. All right. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you as always for listening. You are the absolute best. Check the show notes for merch link, Patreon link, any link you could need, (laughs) bookshop link. It's all there, all the ways that you can support the pod. And if you have a free moment, pop over on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen and give the pod a quick rating and review. It really helps the visibility and uh, to keep the pod growing. I will talk soon, guys. Bye.